Tired of jumping from job to job? How about a career in a recession-proof industry where you can make a difference and help create a healthier living and working environment? The pest management industry gives you the opportunity to work with more independence. OPC Pest Services will give you a chance to grow with advancement. Come be a part of our team at OPC Pest Services. Apply online at opcpest.com careers. That's opcpest.com careers. Where do you go to find all your favorite wine, beer, and spirits with selections customized to local tastes? For over 25 years, that go-to place has been Cox's Spirit Shop. Cox's, Louisville's go-to liquor store. From the Liquor Barn Studios, it's time for the V Show, right here on ESPN 680 and 1057. Now, here's Bobby V. Oh, I, I kind of bittersweet news. Just saw this. Paolo Del Piccolo is retiring from Lou City. He's going to take a position in the organization as a coach. He's been helping with their... Yeah, in within I guess they had you know when they went through the interim coaching situation he'd helped and um, they are uh, they are uh, going to put him to work right away he's going to help he's going to be coaching in their academy and he's going to help with the I don't know the the senior team for whatever you refer to as the actual team so good for him he's a good guy and more time for a bocce now Paolo so that'll be good expect you. Never to lose a championship there. So there you go. All right. Uh, we turn our attention to the NFL by uh, visiting with a guy who's been with us a number of times before. Always a pleasure. From the messenger, uh, Mike Tanier, who has uh, – I did not realize this. Mike, you've been with us before, and I did not know. I don't know why this profile came up, but it did. You taught math in the New Jersey public school system for 17 years. Wow. And you kept your sanity, huh? <laughs> that is true. That is true. It's been about 12 or 13 years since I've been out. But yes, teacher by trade, uh, writer by vocation. What did you What did you teach? Did you teach uh, plane geometry or algebra or trig or what did you teach? I like to tell folks that like I taught the very low kids, the very high kids. I got to teach calculus and AP calculus for a while. And I also taught like introduction to, you know, if you don't pass the standardized test, you're going to be mopping floors for the rest of your life. <laughs> <laughs> they, didn't, they didn't trust me with the middle kids, like the quote-unquote normal kids, but if you were really smart or really struggling, you came to me. God bless you for calc. I, that's when I lost interest in math. I was good at math until <laughs> I would go whole weeks and say, you know, I haven't seen a number all week. There hasn't been, I'm in math. There hasn't been a number here for the entire week. That's not math. Anyway, so. Oh my goodness. That, that happens to the best of us. All right, but here's some numbers. Uh, this is what Mike wrote about uh, within the last day. In fact, 282 games are in the books, and the NFL season comes down to three games. And uh, frankly, pretty damned entertaining matchups. So uh, jump in where you want. But let's start, in my mind, with the AFC, because they are two damned entertaining quarterbacks there. And obviously, we have rooting interest for one, Lamar, from right back in our backyard here in Louisville, and then uh, Mahomes. And they are very, very exciting players. Uh, what do you make of the matchup? And it's always important, the quarterback's role in the matchup. But do you think the game is decided by quarterback play in that matchup? Or what are you looking at? Well, let me ask you this before we go on. How good does it feel to 
take that Lamar Jackson can't win the playoff game storyline narrative and, and toss it in the garbage. How good does that feel? Yes, it does, because we love him here. And, then, you know, that's not fair. It's like, you know, it's the same jackasses who would say Ernie Banks was no good because he never played in a World Series. I mean, the guy was <laughs> – how stupid yeah. can you be? I mean, the guy was a great player, and Lamar's a great player. And he really yeah. – he has his game face on, doesn't he, though? He is out trying to prove something to somebody, no doubt about that. Right, he kept very emphatically in that game where he scores the last touchdown. It looks like he kept running and he was going <laughs> to go right. out into the inner harbor and set up some fireworks <laughs> and write the Star Spangled Banner or whatever it is you do out there. But, you know, it, you're talking about the quarterback, so when it comes down to quarterback play, and Lamar versus Patrick Mahomes, and you're like, that's a phenomenal matchup, and you ask me who the better quarterback is, and I say Patrick Mahomes because he's a two-time Super Bowl champion, two-time MVP, et cetera. And then you say, well, what about the rest of this matchup? And at position by position by position, you're going to keep landing at the Baltimore Ravens as the stronger team, which puts Lamar Jackson in a much better position to win this game. So, actually, if you're looking at that, you'd almost want to say to yourself, as great as Lamar is, you don't want the game to be decided by the quarterback because he's got a better supporting cast. Yeah, I don't know. You know, I guess if you're a hometown fan and you love Lamar Jackson, you want to see him throw six touchdown passes and win 56-7 to or whatever. Uh, you know, but you also want the team to win. And if you want the team to win, then you pretty much want it to be sort of a balanced attack where you say, well, the Ravens have been winning games because of Lamar's running, because of his throwing, because he's a, a much more um, a confident pocket passer this year than he was in the last couple of years. And, of course, he's been healthy. And also because he has better playmakers. And he has one of the best defenses he has ever had, probably the best defense he has ever had, something that's almost like those old Ravens defenses. So... If the if the Chiefs win this game, it's probably going to be Mahomes' magic because they're not good enough at other places. You, you see their receiving core. You see that their their defense gives up a lot of big plays, et cetera. It's Mahomes' magic. Jackson can win because of Jackson, or Jackson can manage a game and come out of this with a, with a win, and that's a good position for a quarterback to be in because then you don't have to do it all yourself. I mean, it's interesting. Wasn't, wasn't the criticism, though, that Baltimore wasn't doing enough to give him a supporting cast, and yet now you say, I'm not disputing it. I'm just saying now you look at it and you say they got a better supporting cast than the than the than the Chiefs do. So um, did they get their job done in terms of personnel? They got their job done, and I think they've been working on it. But every year, everybody got hurt. Every year, like Lamar Jackson got hurt, and then like 18 other guys would get hurt. Mm. And so you'd see this very, this Ravens team that would still finish eight and nine or nine and eight or whatever they would do, but it wasn't them. And you know, this year it isn't just Lamar. They, they brought in Odell Beckham, and uh, Odell Beckham has not had this phenomenal year, but he's still a threat out there. Uh, they drafted Zay Flowers. They finally got it right in the first round and got a you know a smaller receiver who like catches the little you know short pass over the middle and makes five moves and turns it into a 15 yard game. They got that guy. And they've also done a phenomenal job in the last two or three years. They've been drafting guys who took a little longer to develop. If you look at the tight end who came in for Mark Andrews uh, when Andrews was hurt. Uh, Isaiah Likely. Isaiah Likely has come into his own the last couple of weeks. He looks like, uh, you know, a Pro Bowl caliber tight end. It took it took him a year to figure things out. He didn't come in as a finished product. So that's the thing with the Ravens. They've been working on this for a while. Just between injuries and and the development of some of these younger guys, it didn't necessarily bear fruit right away. You know, Mike, this is interesting to me because I always adhere to the. 
you know, the adage, follow the money, you know, money talks and you know what walks. So let's take a look at this. If you look at Vegas right now, Jimmy Shapiro, I'm on his email distribution list, has the Super Bowl projected spreads. There can only be, you know, four possible matchups, 49ers, Ravens, 49ers, Chiefs, Lions, Ravens, Lions, Chiefs. That's the only possibilities. If you look at this. The 49ers are – the NFC, NFC teams are favored – no, no, I'm sorry. Oh, I read it wrong. Okay, now it makes more yeah. sense. The 49ers are two-point favorites over the Ravens and two-and-a-half-point favorites over the Chiefs. The Ravens are five-and-a-half-point favorites over the Lions. The Chiefs would be four-and-a-half-point favorites. So common sense would tell you that actually the Ravens are the overall favorite, but they're projecting basically a Ravens-49ers Super Bowl. What say you? Yeah, that's the easiest projection to make right now. If I look over on the NFC, and I look at how the – I mean, the Lions had a gutsy win yesterday, but if you looked at how their defense played against the Buccaneers, that's not a defense that's ready to face the San Francisco 49ers and all the, all the weapons that they can bring to bear against you. So it looks like the 49ers in the NFC. Then you come to the AFC, and again, I feel more comfortable with the Ravens than I do with the Kansas City Chiefs, the trick being that this is an all-time epic Duel between, you know, defending champion versus, you know, likely MVP this year, strongest team in the league. But if you're doing gambling and you say, well, I want to take one of these four odds, I'm going to take the, uh, the Niners against the, um, excuse me, the Niners against the Ravens because it just seems like the favorites in both situations. If it were to be the, is the, you know, to be, to be snarky about this, is the AFC game the varsity game and the NFC game the JV game? Is whoever comes out of the AFC going to win? No, it's more like, you know, if you go to a WWE or a wrestling competition and there's a main event and then there's one where, like, the, the beloved bad guy is just going to beat up on, like, a jobber. <laughs> like, back in the day, they would always have Hulk Hogan and it was fighting, like, the unpredictable Johnny Rods. It was some... It, it was... Like, it was the same guy, and he went out there, and he was allowed to have, like, 10 seconds where he put up a fight. And then it would just be, like, Hulk posing and flexing and, and like, you know, just, like, drop-kicking him into oblivion. That's the NFC battle, and that's that's offensive to the Lions. The Lions have worked very hard to get here, but that's what that's going to look like. And then you go, the match you wanted to see that you actually paid the money, the pay-per-view to see, and that's the one where, you know, the champions are going to be competing for the belt. What else do you take away from these playoffs, even by the guys that are out, does – Josh Allen help himself, hurt himself by how he played. Jordan Love, what do you make of? You got to start by talking about the quarterbacks because it's quarterbacks league. So, what do you take away for those guys? Well, Allen played extremely well yesterday. He played extremely well. The very weird at the end of the fourth quarter where Tony Romo began like explaining every mistake Josh Allen made. Like, oh, you know what? Look, he had an open guy over the middle. He did oh, look, do he that. Have you're, done that. You're, you're, all I could think of is, you know, show me your uh, Super Bowl ring, there, Tony Romo. <laughs> yeah. show, show me all that those Cowboys playoff game success that you're talking about. You're sitting up in the booth, suddenly criticizing Allen. Allen played a phenomenal game. The problem with the Bills right now is they're like forty-eight million. I don't have the number in front of me. It's in my article at the Messenger. Forty-seven million dollars over the cap. They've got a bunch of well-known players who are hitting free agency. They're going to have to shed guys. They're going to lose a lot of their depth. They're going to lose some of their guys on defense. And that's going to make it hard for Josh Allen to get up to the, to the top of the heap again in the next year or so. Love looks really good. The Packers look really good. They look like they're a team that can be on the rise. That is a team full of rookies and second-year players. The Houston Texans, uh, C.J. Stroud looks like he's going to be a, a pro bowler for the next 15 years. That's a team full of rookies and veterans. 
excuse me, rookies and uh, and youngsters. So those are teams that you can look at and say, man, that's a that's a prognosis of 2024 to be excited about. You know, next year Super Bowls. Next year, Super Bowl Packers Texans. You know, you can you can look at that right now and be edgy about it. The Bills are a team that's like, wow, we have some work to do in the offseason to stay near the top. What uh, off the top of my head? What jobs are open in the NFL right now? What head coaching jobs are unfilled yet? Oh, there's so many. Right, let's see. We got the Titans. We have the Seahawks. We have the Chargers. We have the. Uh, is, is, is uh, I'm this... sorry. I'm sorry. I'm on five hours sleep. There's a. There's a. There's no, the I'm Falcons. trying to remember myself. The Falcons job open? Is that open? <laughs> Unbelievable. Falcons is open still. They've interviewed uh, Bill Belichick 15 times and Jim Harbaugh 20 times, uh, but the job is still open. Uh, Washington is still open. They recently uh, interviewed Biennemi, their offensive coordinator, but they've interviewed a bunch of other people. The, the Panthers' job is still open, but I don't consider them an NFL team anymore. Oh, hey, oh, hey. <laughs> but you know what? I, come on. This is just a way for me to sneak in. I want to talk about Belichick, and I want to talk about uh, um, um, Harbaugh. Are they, what, what, did, are they coaching the NFL, either or both of them next year? What do you think? Belichick, yes. I'm almost certain that uh, Jim Harbaugh is – making the University of Michigan rewrite his contract the exact way he wants it with all sorts of extra money and clauses and in case there's any more investigations, et cetera. And this happens a lot with Harbaugh where he goes on this tour and makes sure everybody knows that he's interviewing, and then he goes back to the Michigan Board of Directors and gets more money. That's what I think is happening, but Harbaugh has interviewed with the Falcons, uh, uh, has interviewed with the Chargers. I can't imagine a team like the Falcons looking at Bill Belichick and Harbaugh and like saying, gosh, we can't make up – our minds like you either want one kind of guy or you want the other kind of guy hmm. you don't you don't want either or of that particular kind of guy uh so so i'm not sure what's really going on there were you surprised mike mccarthy stayed on in dallas you know i'm looking at this thing where cowboys fans like mike mccarthy's out here in philadelphia eagles fans nick sirianni's got to go pittsburgh steelers fans you know we're done with tomlin it's time for a change these guys made the playoffs these guys, their combined records with their teams are amazing. Uh, uh, McCarthy is 36-15 and 15 over the last three years. Now, I'm not exonerating the mistakes he made. I'm not saying, well, that team didn't lay an egg in the playoffs. The team doesn't seem to embarrass themselves in the playoffs. What do people think is out there among the coordinator pool that you can take coaches that went 36-15, and 15, a guy like Tomlin who's made the playoffs, I don't know, a dozen times, a guy like Sirianni who was in the Super Bowl last year, and say, you know what, get rid of him. Let's get another guy. What do, what do people think is out there in the coordinator pool? It's other coaches like these, except that they don't have any track record. So I, I'm, not, I'm not that surprised. I think people think that Jerry Jones is super impatient and super impetuous. Look how long Jason Garrett stayed there. Yeah. Jerry doesn't like to make these big changes. He's got a guy he feels kind of comfortable with. He, he'll wait another year and see what happens, and then he'll just make press conference remarks about how deeply disappointed he is in how things are going. <laughs> yeah, but Sirianni's a great point, and I'm not saying it because he's Italian. I'm saying it because I am. But, but, <laughs> but, I mean, they were in the Super Bowl last year. You're right. And they looked really good at the beginning of the year, uh, I, and then, all right, they fell apart late. But yeah. supposedly he's met with the ownership, and they, you know, and he's got real strong ideas about what he wants to do with his staff and, and changes he wants to make, and I, he dismissed his defensive coordinator. And so, you know, I agree with you. To me j- – as the cliche goes, getting rid of the baby with the bathwater doesn't accomplish nearly as much as when you you take what you've got, especially if it's a proven head coach, and just try and make adjustments. So that you're much closer to that than I am. But that seems, and no matter how pissed off the fans may be, I think that makes more sense. And that's it. And you try to explain this to the fans, and they'll be like, "Well, he lost the locker room." And 
I think he might have lost the locker room at some point, but sometimes that's a problem that can be solved by everybody take a couple weeks off and get back. Yep. You know, that's a morale issue that when everybody goes out and like maybe they play a little golf or they go hunting or Jason Kelsey takes his shirt off and screams and yells at a Chiefs game <laughs> and, and then, then they get back in. They get back in a couple weeks later and yeah, like, like if there was a bad Apple coach or two, he's fired and say, okay guys, we're all embarrassed at how that, that uh, played out. Uh, can we make it work? That can happen. I've seen coaches who, quote-unquote, lost the locker room, turn things around. I remember Tom Coughlin. Everyone wanted to yes, kill him. Yes, that's right. In that's 05, a good example. 06, and he had to come in and say, you know what? I'm not going to scream at you if you're only five minutes early for the meeting anymore. Like I got, I got a little carried away with that. There's ways. You know, These are adults and professionals. There's ways they can change that. What you can't change is Super Bowl last year, playoffs the year before, playoffs this year, 11-1 at Thanksgiving. There were a lot of things that these guys were doing right, and those those positives can be accentuated. He didn't seem to have trouble finding the locker room last year, so I don't know how he lost it this year. They didn't move it, but anyway, right? So, uh, it, it, that's such a that's such a thing. He lost the locker room, and like, what does that even mean? It means they lost well, some games. Players get pissed when they lose. That's what happens. Yeah. I mean, it's the, right. They got pissed. They got pissed, and they drove home pissed off. And it's like, well. You know, in a week or two, you win a game. A lot of times, just the locker room's back. It's yeah. a miracle. Hey, I want to ask you about a team up the road, because certainly the reviews locally have been very good about Shane Steichen. They didn't get in yep. the playoffs. Again, they controlled their own destiny. It's a Colts thing to do, and then they lose and don't get in. But still, they were picked to win like four or five games this year, and the fact that they were even playing a meaningful game the last week means they kind of overachieved this year. Yeah, one of the complaints folks had in Philly is that Steichen seemed to take a lot of the creativity with him. Mm. And I think that there was a little bit of that where you saw with Gardner Minshew out there. So this is a team that can't run the read option in the zone, read in the tush-push or anything. But they're still doing RPOs. They're still doing all these clever ways to get short passes out there. They're still doing like a lot of creative stuff with the running game. So when the Colts faced an opponent that was vulnerable, they won. Even though they were shorthanded, injury-prone, rebuilding team, they beat most of the teams they were supposed to beat, and they got a surprise or two in there. And I think that speaks well for Steichen. And I think it speaks well for that kind of system that he and Sirianni run in the NFL, where it's like, okay, there's a lot of, there's a lot of options. There's a lot of RPOs. There's a lot of situations where quarterbacks up the line, reads the defense, and has like three choices, and he picks one. I really think that can work, especially if you've got like a mobile quarterback and or a good decision-maker quarterback. And you saw that a little bit with Richardson, but a little bit with Minshew as well for the Colts. My friend, it is great to catch up with you. If I, uh, for some inexplicable reason, decide to get back into Trig, I'm going to give you a call, see if you maybe <laughs> can cancel me through. I, that, I'm fairly certain you won't have to worry about that. But uh, nonetheless, you sound like you are ready for a nap. So get a little sleep, and uh, we'll catch up with you again real soon. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate it. You got it. All right. Thank you, you so got it. much. Take care. Mike Tanier from The Messenger. Always fun to catch up with him. Uh, interesting. Brought a lot of good insight into things there. I thought that was very enjoyable stuff about the National Football League, which has got three games left, unless you want to count. Well, you can't even count the Pro Bowl anymore. It's not a game anymore. Now it's a uh, – it's a. Uh, it's way better, by the way. Oh, somebody just sent me this. Statement on behalf of Nick Dunlap. What is that now? After a life-changing 24 hours – I've decided to withdraw from the Farmers Insurance Open. I plan to return home to Alabama to be with family, friends, and teammates and drink a lot of beer and champagne. No, he didn't say that. Uh, Thank you, Farmers Insurance and American Express, for giving me these opportunities. Wow, he wins an event and he's he's big-timing them now. Now he's not playing. (laughs) He's going home. 
<laughs> oh my oh wow when did this come down did this just break i think it did DePaul has said where would you like us to forward your mail tony stubblefield the school announced has been relieved of his duties as the head coach at DePaul. in the midst of his third season they fell to three and fifteen over the weekend, winless in the Big East. But most of you know one of those wins, of course, against the Cards. So Tony Stubblefield moving on to Paul. They just can't seem to get it. When's the last time they were good? I like to look that up. I mean, this is there's a good number of you that are too young to ever remember them being good, and that's a shame because when I was not even that young a kid. I mean, they played in front of sold-out crowds at the Rosemont Horizon, and they made deep NCAA tournament runs. Uh, Ray Meyer, of course, Hall of Famer, and then his son Joey had some really good teams, too, for a while. Uh, I'd like to look that up, my own self. Uh, here we go, on Wikipedia. There's got to be a you know one of those, their one-lost history. Uh, here we go, history. Oh, you're not going to do this to me, are you? How many coaches could you name? Do you remember these guys? How about this? Uh, from Joey Meyer was there from 1984 to 1997. Ray Meyer was there forever. He was there for 42 years, 1942 to 1984. He was outstanding. And Joey had some really good teams, too. Then 97, uh, he was out. Pat Kennedy was there for five years, 1997 to 2002. Um Dave Lato was there from 2002 to 2005. For the first time, he left to become the head coach of the University of Virginia after 2015. So he did reach the second round of the NCAA tournament before being eliminated by eventual national champion Connecticut. His teams also played in the 03 and 05 NIT tournaments. He was 58 and 34 in his first go around at DePaul, which was a big step up. Pat Kennedy was 67 and 85. Uh, Joey had a rough go. They finished 3-23 and 23 his last year there, and so that's when he was relieved. Jerry Wainwright came in. Um, they, they all finished with a rough, rough go. Uh, he was 59-80, and 80, got fired in the middle of the year. His assistant took over, Tracy Webster, who became, finished the year 1-15. Then Oliver Purnell came in. He was at Clemson, signed a seven-year deal with DePaul. They were excited. And really did not have any success. Seven and twenty-four, twelve and nineteen, eleven and twenty-one, twelve and twenty-one, twelve and twenty. And at the end of the 2014-2015 season, he resigned. Finished with an overall record of fifty-four and one hundred five. Yikes! Uh, Dave Lato came back. So Dave Lato probably had, other than the Myers, had the most success there. I would think. He. Uh, he was 9-22 his first year. Of course, keep in mind, he took over after that really terrible run by uh, Oliver Purnell. And uh, um, they got up to 11 wins in his third season. Following the 17-18 season, DePaul had had 11 straight losing seasons. Uh, wow. They. Uh, Why did they never win there? Uh, well, they it's in Chicago. Yeah, but for a while they had they used to play their games at the Rosemont Horizon, which was 
a hall. It would be like it would be like Louisville playing their home games. I don't even know how to describe it. Damn near in Frankfurt. It's not anywhere near hmm. the campus. It's way out in the suburbs. Is it like when Miami plays their football games in uh, I don't know actual no, Miami? I know what you mean. I don't know what you mean. The, the stadium's far away. I'm trying to get yeah. a good analogy, but I mean, DePaul is right downtown Chicago, and the the Rosemont is out in the, in the suburbs. It would be like Louisville playing in. Um, uh, Shepherdsville. That's probably a good analogy. Hmm. Maybe that. Uh, you know. So, so no real student, no home. And then the the place got old and got run down, and they stopped drawing because they stopped winning. So they and they had terrible practice facilities. They had nothing going for them. So now they built a nice practice facility. They have a new game facility, and so yeah, they expected to get something going. And unfortunately, Stubblefield didn't get anything going. Mm-mm. But but at least, I mean, I'll give Lato credit. Um, the tw- in 2018-2019, they won 19 games. I mean, that's not world-beating, but when you're coming off guys that didn't, you know, they had 11 straight losing seasons, they finished 19-17. and 17. Uh, They got to the CBI tournament. Uh, they made it to the finals of the CBI tournament. And then, uh, I don't know what, what, oh, he stayed another, I guess he stayed another year, and it, it just didn't, they expected, oh, that's going to be the springboard to a, a real big year, and then he didn't get it. And so, Tony Stubblefield came in. He was an assistant at Oregon uh, from 2021 till present, and um, not so much. They made the tournament since 04. They haven't been in the tournament since 04. Yeah, no. I know. That's what I'm saying. I was trying to get a year by year, but they did win. In in 04, they won the Conference USA Championship. Dave Lato won it. I mean, he was like, he's the only guy who had any kind of real success there. Um, But they were, that's why I say they were. I mean, 76, 78, 79, 80, 81, 82, 84, 85, 86, 87, 88, 89, 91, 92. These were all NCAA tournament bids. That's pretty good run. Pretty, pretty, pretty good run. But uh, where are they playing now? I've not seen their new arena. It's it's the new Wind Trust Arena. Is that or is that the old? The Wind Trust Arena. That's is their new one. Yes. Yeah, because it's perfect size. It's only ten thousand seaters. The Allstate Arena is what um, Rosemont used to be called. Too big, like eighteen thousand, and Noah's near school. See, they had a place on campus called Alumni Hall. Uh, I wonder if they knocked it down. I don't know, but uh, telling you, they should have one heritage game. Everybody should have a heritage game. Oh man! All right. Uh, Dane O'Neill's going to join us. By the way, did you see poor Caitlin Clark get truck steamrolled? That's why you can't have people storming the court until the players all leave. You got to get them the hell out and then let the people kill each other. <laughs> That's a little harsh. <laughs> oh man! Oh the new oh yay! We have news. We have breaking news. Da 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 da. The the new poll's out. The new poll is out. Would you like me to tell you who's in the new poll? Would you like me to tell you where Kentucky went? Want me to see if Louisville's ranked? Kentucky's sick. Hey, hey, you went and wrecked it. <laughs> you just had to wreck it. You had to be that kid who's like, I know, I'm going to tell everybody. <laughs> Damn it. Well, he just told you. But it's okay, because I'm still going to give you the rankings. Because I'm doing it like uh, the old count- countdown music shows. At number 10, moving up four spots. Illinois moves up to 10th. Number 9, moving up three spots. Arizona. Number eight, moving up five spots, the Fighting Bruce Pearls of Auburn. Uh, Number seven, dropping four spots, the Jayhawks of Kansas. Number six, moving up two spots, as he already told you, 
the fighting John Calipari's at Kentucky. Tennessee goes up a spot from 6 to 5. Houston goes up a spot from 5 to 4. Carolina goes up a spot from 4 to 3. And Purdue and UConn remain unchanged at number 2 and number 1, respectively. So there you go. So that's your top 10. Any other big movers and shakers? A couple of others. Uh, Baylor dropped six spots, losing two games last week. Dayton went up five spots. Not only did they win, they won one of their games against Rhode Island by like 40. So that got people's attention. Texas Tech jumped up five spots as well. Uh, teams just on the outside looking in. I love that. Others receiving votes. Why don't they just list them, 26, 27, 28, because they tell you how many votes they got. Seton Hall is uh, 26th, San Diego State's 27th, Kansas State's 28th, Alabama's 29th, and TCU is 30th. Dropping out of the rankings, TCU went down there to uh, whatever that is, 29th or 30th, rather. They were 19th, and Ole Miss was uh, 22nd, and they fell down to 31st. So they fell out of the rankings altogether. All right, there you go. That's it. We'll take a break. Dane O'Neill's going to join us in just a moment, and we will uh, – oh, Texter says, tell your dad they want to share Conference USA. Yeah, I did mention that. Thank you, Biscuit. Thank you, Biscuit. Uh, they did win Conference USA. So D- Dave Lato, by and large, after Ray and Joey, is probably the third most successful coach – uh, they had at DePaul. So uh, he had a, a respectable run. But they have been down in the dumps for a while. So now they are getting rid of So let's see. There you go for the people who are claiming they should make a coaching change now at Louisville. Let's see what it does for DePaul. Does it give them any kind of an advantage by having an opening in, in December? Let's see. We'll find out. Because uh, did they announce? I assume they're giving it to an assistant on an interim basis, right? Let's go see. Uh, all I saw was he was fired. Let's go see what it says in the news. Um, DePaul fires head men's basketball coach Tony Stubblefield. Um, uh, Dwayne Peavy, who came from Kentucky, of course, the athletic director, um, said, you know, thank you for his efforts and we wish him the best and all the right things to say. Uh, Oh, here we go. Uh, Matt Brady will serve as interim head coach as PV searches for Stubblefield successor. So we'll see what happens there. All right, we'll take a break, and then uh, Dane O'Neill is going to join us. Thanks for being with us as we roll on on a Monday, ESPN 680-1057. Taking care of your family isn't always easy, so we make sure getting care when you need it is. With Baptist Health Urgent and Virtual Care, we bring you more options and greater convenience, too. With video visits available 24-7 and online check-in through MyChart for in-person visits. To check in online or to set up a video visit, go to baptisthealth.com slash care anywhere. time to replace your heating and air system we know people want options that's why you'll always get a free second opinion with bj heating and cooling plus for a limited time get zero percent financing for 60 months on a new bryant system call the experts you can trust at bj heating and cooling
You're listening to Middays with Bobby V right here on ESPN 680 and 105.7. Now, live from the Liquor Barn Studios, here's Bob Valvano. Very exciting. Tomorrow is Bossa Nova Day. All the rejoin music is going to be Bossa Nova. Oh, it's going to be, no, that's going to be damned exciting. I don't think you want to miss that. Uh, and that music is, is telling because... Uh, I want to tell our next guest, because I know she's going to be damned excited about this. Dana O'Neill joining us. Dana, did you know this weekend at the new Texas basketball arena, the Moody Center, the Doobie Brothers will be playing a concert, including Michael McDonald, for the first time in 25 years. How about that? What do you think of that? Well, I think that's pretty cool. Alas, I shan't be there, but that sounds pretty cool. (laughs) I do remember when I did a story on Matthew McConaughey, his big thing about uh, building Texas's arena and all that was he wanted to become the epicenter for basketball and music. So, have you have you seen the new building? I, I've been. Have you been in the new building? No, and, and ironically, I have seen like I saw the drawings back when, but no, I haven't been in it. Oh, it's pretty. It's, it's, it's pretty awesome. I got to be honest. I was. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, we have the Yum Center here, which is pretty damn special too. In this place, yeah, not, not not remotely as big, but by design, no. it only seats about eleven thousand for basketball. But for concerts, it seats like fifteen thousand. They have some innovations for the way they yeah. move video screens and stuff, and make the acoustics like uh, like uh, Carnegie Hall. It's supposed to be unbelievable so they're they're going to get all the big acts so uh, well i can't be there i'm sorry to say i will not be i will be elsewhere (laughs) where are you going this weekend you got it where are you what what game are you doing uh well i am going to the the really sweet kind welcome home party that providence is going to throw for ed cooley oh yeah they'll probably be (laughs) they gave rick patino a standing ovation when he came back you don't think cooley will get that Um, probably not. Uh, I'm going to go with probably not. Yeah. So, yeah, I'll be there to duck, I think. Is wow. Wear a, wear, wear a helmet. You don't have to wear one of the, uh, yeah. the, the princess yeah, football I, I helmets. I find Providence fans to be, like, angry on a good day. So this should just set them over the edge. Yeah. Wow. All right. Well, that's... Uh... That's going to be interesting, to say the least. Yeah. Um, you Speaking of the Big East, good way to start, though. You you wrote a recent column about giving your Coach of the Year award. And it's very early to do that. They're not even halfway through yeah. conference seasons yet, for goodness sake. But I, I tend to agree with you. I saw UConn early twice. I think... Danny Hurley's done a terrific job with that team. He's an interesting fella, to say the least. But uh, <laughs> but he's done a hell of a job with that team. It's not easy when you when the margin of separation in college basketball is as small as it is, and you're the defending champion to just kind of still be standing even this late into the season. I think he's done a pretty good job. Yeah, I mean, if you think about like what they lost last year, right? So like Sonoga left, and Andre Jackson left, and Jordan Hawkins left, and that's like three other top five or six scorers, right, from a team that won a national championship. And then he comes along, and they're really good to start the season again. And, okay, they're loaded. they got a great roster, understandably. Then Donovan Klingon gets hurt, and he's kind of the central focus of why that team is very good on both ends of the floor. And while everybody else in college basketball is flailing about trying to figure themselves out, UConn just keeps on rolling. I mean, that is, to me – a really incredibly good coaching job because they had to reinvent themselves without Klingon and they didn't miss a beat. Um, so, yeah, I, I think sometimes we tend to look at the team that's the best in the country as coach of the year and we overlook them. We look for somebody who was unexpected and does great things. And there's plenty of 
plenty of people that deserve that recognition. I'm not saying they don't, but I got to give it to the guy. I mean, it has been impressive. And again, especially compared to the rest of the country is so unsettled this year. Yeah, you can uh, uh, find Dana's work at The Athletic, senior writer for The Athletic, Dana O'Neill with us. Yeah, it is, you know, I guess, what the hell, everybody's got theories. I've got one of my own. I'll share, whether you like it or not. Um, Why? Why does it seem, you know, even at this point, even if you can say, well, okay, there's there's more depth than there's been and blah, 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 there always seems to be, you know, a couple of teams that kind of emerge. There's really nobody. I mean, I think there are four or five teams you say if they played 10,000 seasons, they would be in the final four more than the others. But the Mm -hmm. the separation is so small for this late in the year. Why, Why do you suppose? You know, I think it's a combination of a lot of things. I do certainly think the portal has something to do with it. And I mean, giveth and taketh, right? Like, it's taken some roster, you know, continuity away. It's added great players in some place, but that takes a while to figure guys out. I mean, uh, you know, this is, this is, I know people like to joke about chemistry and culture because they're really annoying buzzwords, but there is some legitimacy to it. And that's not saying that teams don't have good people. They do, but trying to figure out how all those pieces work together, you know, in a couple of weeks. It, it looks a little messy, I think, for a little while. I also think, you know, I don't think this is necessarily a good or a bad thing, but someone pointed out to me, and I think there's value to it. If you look at, the like, the NBA draft perspective, so there's a lot of G League out there. There's a lot of overtime elite out there. You know, some of the greater players aren't necessarily in or great oh, yeah. when we say great. NBA great, I don't mean college players, aren't really in college basketball right now. And so that is a talent dream that makes things a little bit more equal. Um, I think there's some legitimacy to that, too. So, yeah, I just think there's a lot of reasons. And I think also, parenthetically, if you will, one of the best teams is the team that nobody wants to trust, and that's Purdue, right? That's the other problem. Mm. Like, the team that is probably the one that we should all be talking about, everyone's like, yeah, but yeah, that's true. I don't trust them. Yeah, you, you, you know, you've been on the show before, so no surprise that you bring in good stuff. I agree with the, the – not that I don't agree with Purdue, but I agree with the first two points uh, yeah. tremendously. But I also think there's one other thing, and I really think this – is a very, very big part of it. Rick Pitino used to say all the time when he was here, the great equalizer in college basketball is the three-point shot, and everybody and their brother shoots it now. That's the biggest difference. I mean, you go to pregame warm-ups, everybody's shooting it. I mean, not like screwing around, hey, let's have some fun and go shoot threes. They got the whole roster out there working on catch-and-shoot threes. And why is that important? Because if you've got like two or three guys – and they, you know, that's where you rely on it. And they have off shooting nights. Then the adage live by the jumper, die by the jumper is true. But when you got eight guys, nine guys, and they shoot it one through five, no, you're not victim to that anymore. If A and B are off, C, D, and E are probably shooting it. And so there's, I mean, I just think that that's the, one of the biggest things is and nobody gets shot out of games anymore because they've all got no. so damn many shooters. It's, I mean, it's entertaining, but it's really different. I'll say that. Yeah, and, and you're right. If you think about, like, some of the, quote, upsets that we've seen this year, right, like what happened in those games. I'm going back, like, back to the beginning, you know, when James Madison beat Michigan State. Michigan State couldn't, like, shoot to save its soul. Right. Like, they just could not 
hit a three right. or a two at that point. And they're supposed to be a really good three-pointing shoot team. So that just, just annihilated everything Michigan State was supposed to be about from the get-go. You know, the other night, I think UCLA got up on Arizona. They were hitting a bunch of threes, and then the, you know, the world reset it because UCLA is a disaster. But, you know, that that is very true. I think that everybody can shoot it, can shoot it pretty well, can shoot it with hands in their face. It's just, and, and yeah, and three, at last I checked, was still more than two. So that's pretty good math. I uh, I think I'm going to make sure I've got this right. Let me see here. Um, your book, how's it doing? Yeah, I wrote a book. I know, oh, and it's and well, it's thank you for asking. it's about the Big East, and who in the world wouldn't love that? And I'd forgotten in all candor, I'd forgotten that you wrote it. And as you were coming on today, I was looking, and I said, "Oh my God, her book!" And so I don't know what you get. You get a dollar a book, two dollars a book, eight cents a book, but whatever it is, you just got it because I just bought it. <laughs> well, thank you. You're welcome. All right, whatever it is, I'm going to go buy myself like you know, pack of gum. Go get a hoagie. pack of gum. Our- a pack of gum, maybe the world's smallest hoagie. But uh, yeah, no, thank you. It's you know what I, I'm like one of those people. They send me the statements every now and again. I'm like, oh, that's cool. I wrote a book. How's it doing? I don't pay extra attention well, to it. It's a it's um, a great topic. It's called the Big East inside the most entertaining and influential co- conference in college basketball history, and that's not an exaggeration. That is, uh, uh, you know, that league really changed college basketball in so many ways tv and uh, the the the, the, uh, competitive balance i don't know that it could happen again i'm not sure it could given the way the landscape is right now i don't well no because if you think about how dave gavitt started it all he started all basically by getting everybody to buy into a common view and then not trash each other behind their backs and stand up for one another and defend what was theirs and I don't know that any of those things exist anymore. So uh, the cynic in me says probably not, um, because you know what what the Big East was based on, built on, almost really you know along with you know affiliations and all that was trust. Um, it was people trusting Dave Gavitt's vision when nobody else could see it and jumping all in. Um, and he did that because you know John Thompson and Luke Karnaseka and everybody who was in the league knew him forever because he had been in Providence and been a coach and they trusted him, and so it worked. And does anybody trust anybody anymore? No. I'm not so sure. <laughs> you got that right. That is for sure. By the way, that's not her first book. Dana also wrote a book, uh, Long Shots, about Jay Wright and Villanova and college basketball. And I got to ask you this because it, it's anticipated there'll be a coaching opening here at some point. Who really? knows when? Yeah, you might <laughs> you might have heard about it. Uh, but I mean, you know, he was very good friends with Josh Hurd. Jay was when they were at Villanova together, and Josh, of course, the athletic director here. So the people are panting all over themselves maybe he can get Jay right and we talked mm-hmm. to 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 uh, uh, Seth Davis he said there's no way he's going back to coaching you know him a little bit so you think that's true you think it's any way he goes back to the sideline no uh, absolutely not <laughs> and I mean the chances of him you have a better chance of me riding the derby winning horse than Jay Wright coming to Louisville. Um, <laughs> wow. So, yeah. Are you entered in the Shiz Derby? I, don't, I didn't see. <laughs> it's just, it's not happening. Um, no, I mean, I have talked to him multiple times about this over the year, over the, you know, since he retired, even when he was at Villanova and other jobs came open. No, it, the answer is absolutely not. Um, you know, he likes, he likes what he's doing. He likes the rhythm of it. He's still involved enough but not so much that he has to deal with all the nonsense that he got tired of dealing with he had the job he wanted and he won two national championships 
Um, it's not like he left feeling like remorse and ruining what, what wasn't. He won two national championships at the place he dreamed to coach. What else is there for the man to do? Um, he, there, there's zero chance, I believe, that he will come back to coaching. I'm sure you obviously saw this, and our listeners know this. DePaul fired their coach today, Tony Stubblefield. There's a lot of fans here that say, gosh, I wish Louisville would make a move. But what what do you gain by that? Do you think they're going to gain anything? They're giving it to Matt Brady for the rest of the year. Is DePaul getting some sort of an advantage on Louisville by doing that now? What's your thought? No, I mean, it's not the same pool, first of all, I don't think. I mean, DePaul is an interesting job, and it's, you know, it's, you know better facilities are doing things better. But that, that, is, that is, you know, not the same job as Louisville for a thousand reasons, from facilities to legal affiliation to fan base to all of it. It's just not. It's, it's just not. Um, and, yeah, I mean, that's always the catch, right? You fire somebody now, and I guess you can get ahead in the – in the pool, if you will, and start collecting donor money and all these things that are necessary to buy people out or whatever you have to do. But short of that, you know, I'm not really sure how much of an advantage it is. Um, you know, I, I mean, Matt Brady's a really good coach. He was at James Madison. He was on Phil Martelli's staff back when Jameer Nelson was doing great things at St. Joe's. I've known him forever. Is he going to turn DePaul into a Big East you know, uh, you know, contender this year? Probably not. Um I, you know, I, I think sometimes it's just people just are like, all right, I'm, this is just untenable. I think the only reason that becomes a legitimate choice is if, if there's something where you sense your players have given up or your players are just – it's not working within the locker room. It's really, really bad, and maybe you know you want to try to salvage some sort of culture that's left or appease them, maybe then it's worth it. But other than that, I'm not really sure – you, what you, happens by firing somebody on January 22nd? You talk about... Not the big, hiring John Beeline. <laughs> I don't yeah, know. That's somebody's true. not coaching. I don't know. That's a good point. I forgot about John out there. His son's not coaching anymore either, is he? I think he got out of coaching too, didn't he? I don't think he? so, yeah. I thought he did. Anyway, you talk about the Big East. And, you know, when, when all the stuff happened, whatever it was, I don't even remember how many years ago, but... They talked about the Power Five, and then the Big East mm-hmm. very quietly went about their business and said, we're doing what we do. And in basketball, you had to refer to a Power Six, which is correct, because yep. they are as good as anybody else. But they got teams winning the national championship. All right, now you got all sorts of you know coming and going. And so, uh, you know, the, the, the Pac-2, and that somebody still got the na- <laughs> their naming rights, but I don't know what's going to happen there. They're going to join the Mountain West or whatever. But we were talking with, I don't even remember, and they made the point that you may go through the same thing because nobody, I don't think, is going to associate the Mountain West, for example, as a power conference in football. No. But they may be in basketball if that's where those teams all have to wind up going. In fact, you can make the case that the, the Mountain West is not far behind where the ACC is right now. Do you think that the power, the term power, quote unquote, for basketball, again, takes on very different meetings from football. And how many power conferences will there be in basketball, do you think, when all the shakeout's done? Yeah, I always felt like it was a bit of a misnomer for college basketball anyway because it was a football term. And, you know, certainly, as you pointed out, the Big East was the first to kind of shake that tree a little bit because, look, you had, you know, they were they're really they were really good top to bottom and they were a basketball conference first and foremost. So how could you not? give them uh, credit. And I think I'm just looking at Ken Palm. They're second right now behind the Big 12 as the best conference in the country per Ken Palm. So, mm. you know, I, I think they're doing something right. I think, you know, yeah, depending on who eventually lands in the Mountain West, could they make an argument? Sure. But the brand naming of the Mountain West right now in terms of who's in it, you know what I mean? It's not quite the same. I mean, 
the Big East brought with them some names that had some heft to them. Um, and certainly, again, going back to Jay Wright, you know, what Jay did for that league legitimized it in a heartbeat. So that was hypercritical um, for the, the Big East kind of getting its its due back. So I think that Mountain West's climb might be a little different. Um, but I, I always feel like those 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 power conference things, I, I, they almost hamstring the the college basketball because it's a, it's almost how you assume teams are going to get at large bids and really you you need to look at the quality true. of the competition as opposed to what the brand the league is branded right you know what I mean yeah Does it no it's really a great matter? point it's a good point and and football um, as you said it's not just a term it, ha- it actually has some significance I mean in football right it depends on who's getting into the at the, this point the playoffs next year yeah exactly um, and that's not supposed to be what matters in college basketball so I feel like it's just you know your conference affiliation helps boost boost your your you know your ratings and your net rankings and all that. Although, gosh, I mean, to your point, I mean the ACC is horrible. Uh, so no. you know, I you know, and I don't know what's going to happen with Oregon State and Washington State. Although I've joked with people that I would love it if like they just played each other all. That's season, what I said. Play, and then play. one made the tournament, <laughs> and then one made the tournament, and the one that didn't could just kvetch about not getting test selected. <laughs> <laughs> Play 18, 18 straight home and homes, and then they just, that's it. Yeah, and that, the bubble. that's pretty good. The one team wins and gets automatically, and the other one can just yeah. piss and moan. Like, how did they leave yeah, us out? Yeah, I mean, look at the strength great. of our it schedule. We played 30 games <laughs> against an NCAA team. How did they leave us out? Exactly. That'd be perfect. Exactly. I like it. All right, kiddo, that's it's great to talk to you as always. You You're take well, care always. of yourself. Thank you. Take and care. We'll talk to you again down the road. Be well. Bye. All righty. All right. Now, Dana's very, very good. And uh, we got to go because uh, – there's other people waiting to get in here, and that's just the way life works. So uh, we'll be back tomorrow getting ready for Louisville and Duke. Thanks for the texts, and uh, hopefully the big head of producer will be uh, feeling better. But it was good to have Zachy in the house tonight, and uh, good to have you with us as well. So you can hit the exit music because I am exiting stage right. There it is. That means it's time to go. Unless you know something I don't, we'll see you tomorrow. We appreciate you being with us. It's the V Show on ESPN 680. 105.7.